Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, world. Welcome once again to Tuesday Talk with Key West Lou. I am your host, Louis Patron. Well, I tell you, I don't know if I'm exactly on time tonight. I think I'm a minute or two late. I got so engrossed in the Democratic debate just now downstairs that I forgot what time it is. I'm sorry if I'm late. Anyhow, wild week again. Too much Donald Trump. He's, in, he's involved in everything. He controls the news cycles. Not healthy. I dislike talking about him because we all hear enough about him every day on the normal news media. And there's got to be a place where the other things that are happening in the world, uh, whether it's news or something interesting, we should be able to obtain. We should be able to listen to, but we don't have the opportunity because every day he comes up with something new, which makes it the news uh, choice for the next day by the media people. So we're going to go to a few different places at the beginning tonight. I have to get into Donald Trump, though. As I said, he controls everything. We're going to do a little traveling tonight. Africa, Key West, Los Angeles, Germany, Washington, D.C., Baltimore, China, Detroit, and Fort Zachary Taylor in Key West, Florida. Okay, let's start with, I want to start with Hemingway and Mount Kilimanjaro. How's that? Now, is that different from Donald Trump? You bet it is. Uh, Hemingway wrote a short story called the snows of Mount Kilimanjaro. Uh, it was a bestseller, won him a Pulitzer Prize, excuse me, uh, and several other major awards, and was made into a movie, Gregory Peck and Ava Gardner, I believe. And it's interesting, Mount Kilimanjaro. This what affected Hemingway at Mount in Africa. You see. Hemingway never climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. Hemingway never saw Mount Kilimanjaro. What motivated him to write, first of all, was a photograph he saw. And the photograph was of a leopard frozen near the top, in the ice, near the top of Mount Kilimanjaro, some 20 feet from the peak, 20 feet. Leopards don't get up that high. No one to this day knows how that leopard got up there. But he's frozen. The leopard is frozen. It looks like it just happened yesterday, okay? And he was able to look at that picture, and he said, I want to write something about Kilimanjaro. Now, he was not, Africa was not foreign to Hemingway. Uh, He had been there twice before, perhaps even more, but my recollection is, is he was there twice before, Uh, The first time in 1933, he was a big game hunter. You see a lot of pictures of him, uh, just as you see him with pictures from when he uh, lived in Key West and then in Cuba as a fisherman with, with the huge sharks and everything else. He was a man against nature. He was a man. He did manly things from his perspective. One was hunting. So he went big. Big game hunting. I mean, there are pictures of him with lions and those kind of animals. Uh, he was on safaris. And he just, he collected material also as he was going along on his first trip in 33. That he knew someday he would incorporate his background to a book or a novel or whatever have you. And it became the short story, the wondrous short story, The Snows of Kilimanjaro. Interesting. But now came a second trip which very few people are aware of, and it's a sad thing. It happened in 1952, almost 20 years later. The trip was a disaster. 
The way you got around in Africa at the time was by local planes, small, four-seaters, six-seaters, what have you, local planes between smaller, small areas. Well, he was on a local plane going from one place to another with his wife, and it crashed. Uh, fortunately, he only suffered burns and some cracked ribs. Being a tough guy, he had to get wherever he was going, so the next day, the very next day with the burns and the cracked ribs, he gets on another local plane. Well, this plane exploded on takeoff, and this time he got injured. His wife was able to get out through a, win a broken window. She was small enough. He couldn't make it out the window. He used his head to butt open the door to the plane. He used his head. He butted his head against the door to get out of the plane, and he got out. His injuries, a fractured skull, severe burns, uh, a his shoulder had injuries to it, dislocation, two cracked, uh, two cracked, uh, two cracked vertebrae. I'm sorry, a ruptured liver and ruptured kidneys. Spent a lot of time getting better, uh, and I sometimes wonder if that time he spent getting better, he may have been in a tent for a while. Think of the scene in uh, The Snows of Kilimanjaro. Gregory Peck is injured. He's on a cot in a tent. The tent is open. You can see Mount Kilimanjaro. Eva Garden is taken care of. He might have been in the same type position, though not seeing Mount Kilimanjaro itself. And he was being cared for by his wife. And he was pretty badly injured. And that's the story of our friend Hemingway when, when he was in Africa. Want to talk about Harry Truman. Harry Truman is as beloved in Key West as Ernest Hemingway was. They both left their mark on our community. Uh, Hemingway lived here for 11 years. Uh, I forget. He went to 39, so he might have started around 38, 28 or something. Uh, and then he went on to Cuba. But he was here 11 years, and he, he left his mark. Harry Truman first came here as president of the United States. In fact, he made 11 trips to Florida while he was president. And uh, those trips created a total or made up a total of 175 days. Long time he came to Key West. He liked Key West, no question about it. You either like Key West or you hate it, my friends. We all know that who opted to stay here and those who have said, no, I don't like Key West. He enjoyed the place. And he stayed at the, what is today the Little White House, which at the time was the commander's uh, housing a home at a particular naval base. We had several at the time here in Key West. Now, we all know the story I'm telling you up to this point. What you may not know is what he had for breakfast every day. <laughs> I'm laughing already. Uh, it's going to sound strange, but honest to goodness truth, Harry Truman started his day with a glass of orange juice and a shot of old granddad, old granddad, bourbon. Some days it was wild turkey. I don't know why, but he started his day generally with a shot of old granddad and a glass of orange juice. Then he would take his walk around Key West, which wasn't the Key West of today. The buildings were all wood shacks on Duval Street. Uh, most of the, uh, the street itself was not actually concrete. It was dirt. Uh, this is the community he fell in love with. And uh, he had to have a shot. Now, why did he have to have a shot? 
by the way, after he had the shot, then he took his walk and he came back. He had the same breakfast every day, whether in Key West or Washington. He would and he had would have one egg, a slice of toast, a slice of bacon, a glass of skim milk. Okay, and that he did all the time his whole adult life. Why? Why the shot of booze? Turns out he had. Um, some sort of cholesterol problem. He needed a blood thinner to protect against clotting in his arteries. You know, today they say take an aspirin a day if you got that problem. That'll help keep the clogging away. Also today, we have available to us, and I know because I've been taking one for several years, blood thinners, blood thinners. The problem is when he was president in 1945 to 1953, there were no blood thinners. They didn't exist yet. It, blood thinners were not discovered, invented by a pharmaceutical house till the first year he was out of the presidency, 1954. It was called warfarin, W-A-R-F-A-R-I-N, warfarin. And it was sold. It was sold in the drugstores under the commercial name Coumadin. Most, many of us have heard of Coumadin. In fact, I think I started taking Coumadin years ago before they had other blood thinners available. Uh, and I'm just going to give you an interesting sidelight. Two years before Coumadin came out, which is warfarin, okay, as a blood thinner, it was being sold as rat poison. You tell me. I don't understand these things, but that's honest to goodness truth. Uh, in any event, his drinking of old granddad for breakfast, which I think is a unique thing, but it's understandable if the doctors say he needed a blood thinner and booze was considered a blood thinner taken in moderation, so be it. However, some historians have taken that early morning drink and twisted it in some fashion. Uh, remember, it was bourbon, but several describe his White House, whether it was in Key West or in Washington, because they had the same. He did the same thing in Washington, the booze, the orange juice, the walk, the breakfast. They said it was a soaked White House, S-O-A-K-E-D, a soaked White, soaked White House the man lived in. And uh, they sort of pick him out and you know, point to him as a boozer. And he wasn't a boozer. Our history is full of a lot of presidents who were boozers, some alcoholics. Harry Truman was not. He took that one shot a day for medicinal reasons. David McCullough, Pulitzer Prize winner. He wrote the biography, Truman. Fantastic book. Too long. I think it was 1,100 pages, like reading War and Peace. But great book on, on Truman. Um, he said that the doctors that he interviewed indicated that Truman had good health into his late 60s, good health because of that shot of old granddad every morning. They attributed it to that. He was taking it for medicinal purposes. So that, my friends, is the story of Harry Truman and his bourbon for breakfast. Sounds a little harsh to me, but you never know. I had a grandfather, my grandfather Lewis, I'm named after him, my father's dad. He died in 94. One of the best people I ever met in life. Uh, if there is another life after this one, I, he's one of four people I want to see again, and that's my grandfather, Lewis. 
and he used to drink wine every day for with lunch and dinner. Wine he made. Every two years, all these cases of grapes would be delivered to the front of his house. His sons and son-in-laws all had to come over, and as a kid, we used to help the kids, too. He had this big wine press in the cellar. Yes, I got in there as a three- and a four-year-old, and my bare feet crushed grapes with the women. <laughs> That's how it was done. Well, he had his wine for dinner, too. But after dinner every night, my grandfather, uh, who was not a boozer, <laughs> he didn't go to bars or anything like that, he had a shot of Canadian club. And he always would look at the table, whoever was there, and say, for medicinal purposes. And then he'd put it down, like he had to explain why he was taking it, for medicinal purposes. So be it. Want to go now to Los Angeles. Shooting over the weekend. Horrible shooting. At the Gilroy Garlic Festival. Uh, Three people killed. Several injured. One of the three killed a six-year-old boy. You can't get any sadder than that, my friends. Anyhow, the Los Angeles Times on Sunday, for its headline, for its headline, uh, said, Killings, part of a sick American tradition. Killings, part of a sick American tradition. And how true it is. Think of it. Uh, The NRA is responsible, no question about it. I mean, the gun manufacturers tossed enough money into the NRA. And the Republicans, I blame the Republicans, too, not because I'm a Democrat, but they are responsible here. They supported the NRA blindly, whether it was for donations or what have you. They stood in mass behind behind the NRA, and nothing has been done in years. It's probably going to start getting done next year or when Trump is out of office. Trump has been no better, not just with the gun shooting. Trump seems to be anti-everything that is good in this world. I'm going to say it that way. He's anti-everything that's good. And who supports him? The Republicans. My God, they do nothing to fight this man. They are in fear of the president. These are elected congresspeople, elected senators. They are in fear of the president. What can he do to them? cause them to lose their jobs by not supporting them in the next election, speaking ill of them, which he would do. But these people have their job to do, and their job is to represent the best interests of the American people, to support the Constitution, and not the President of the United States, especially when he is wrong. Adolf Hitler now. I'm not doing, this isn't because I'm following Donald Trump that I mentioned Adolf Hitler. It's just next in the list, I think, of things I think uh, should be discussed briefly tonight. It's 1921. In July 1921, Hitler became head of the Nazi Party in Germany. Well, it was not a big deal, but it was a big deal. The Nazi Party wasn't big, it was small. It's 1921. But he became the head of the Nazi party. And he used that to do all the things he did, including World War II, the Holocaust, and everything else. It was his beginning. It took him 15 years. Remember, it was 1921 when he was elected head of the Nazi party. It took 15 years into the mid to late 1930s for him to achieve real power. And after 15 years, he had it. 
He exercised it in all kinds of terrible ways. Now, the reason I share this with you is think about Donald Trump. Trump wasn't a politician before he ran for president. He's only been president two and a half years. Look how much bad, how much evil Donald Trump has committed in two and a half years. It took Hitler 15 years to get to that point. I went to Trump now, by the way, if you didn't know. Uh, Elijah Cummings, an African-American congressman. He's been a congressman 37 years. Elijah Cummings is one of the people who walked over that bridge in, in, in the South in the 1960s in a civil rights march with Martin Luther King, Jr. He was in the front row, Elijah, with him. He was a big man back then. He was a young man. But he was big in the movement, the civil rights movement. They came over that bridge, and in front of them they could see, and they knew what was going to happen. Police on horses, police officers on horses, carrying big sticks, big, big they were carrying like baseball bats, but they weren't baseball bats, but that sort of uh, a wood thing in their hands. And they knew that those police officers were going to come running down with their horses, run over them and knock the hell out of them, hit them in the heads, et cetera, et cetera, with those uh, bats, for want of a better term. And he walked, and he, they, they'd had no, they didn't fight back. They were going to take that beating, Muhammad Gandhi-type approach, and they did. He fractured, got his skull fractured. They got the hell knocked out of him. And this is the kind of man he was. I can't see Donald Trump doing anything like that for any cause. And it's what? It's going to hurt him? <laughs> He's not going to do this. This guy wouldn't go to Vietnam. Remember, he had spurs in his heel. Uh, anyhow, Elijah Cummings is obviously against Donald Trump. He's also had one of the congressional committees looking at him right now. So Trump's gone after him. And he's just doing all kinds of terrible things. Now, understand, Elijah Cummings represents a part of Baltimore. And you recall what the Trump has come out with in the last few days. Uh, he says that Baltimore is, and I quote, disgusting, rat and rodent infested mess. Disgusting, rat and rodent infested mess. He is knocking. Baltimore. He's saying this place is bad because people like Elijah Cummings have been representing you for years and have done nothing. And that's why the blacks, the blacks in Baltimore are still poor as poor as they were 20, 30 years ago. He's done nothing for you. So now he's playing the racist card again. And he's playing the racist card with the black against the blacks. It isn't going to fly, I don't think, but we'll see. Um, and he's saying that Baltimore one is bad, and it's bad because of people like Elijah Cummings, and specifically right now Elijah Cummings. Uh, well, the people of Baltimore don't think their town is that bad. Every every community, whether you're big or small, including Key West, we have our sections that are run down. Everyone has that. You can't avoid it. It's the way it is in life. <clears throat> Anyhow, here is the um, some of the negatives that go with what he's done. Jared Kushner, his son-in-law, we don't hear this much. We, I don't know if we've even heard it on the news, owns several several housing projects in the Baltimore area. His Kushner companies own several uh, housing projects that are embroiled, infested 
with housing violations and mismanagement. So much so that many times Kushner in the Baltimore area, in the media, is referred to as a, and I quote, slum landlord. Donald Trump's son, son-in-law. Slum landlord. In 2017, <laughs> this is funny, in 2017, Baltimore County, where its properties are located within the county, not specifically in Baltimore City, uh, fined Kushner Companies for more than, listen to this, 200 code violations. Can you imagine more than 200 code violations? Uh, he should, you know, and I forget what the saying is, but Donald Trump should look in his own closet or in his own chest or whatever uh, to see what goes on within his family. And this, by the way, Kushner is a man that is a member of the White House staff, sits next to the right hand of God, Donald Trump, uh, goes on all these meetings and these conferences all over the world representing the United States. Smart guy is about 35 years old. We're in trouble, folks. We're always in trouble with this family. Want to talk about Donald Trump and China. China. We're in a big tariff war with China. Remember during the campaign, I love tariff wars. I understand tariff wars. I know how to win tariff wars. Well, he's doing a lousy job, isn't he, my friends? We're in tariff wars with several countries. Let's just take China. China is a major company. They are our equal. I don't know who's first or second. Everybody says, oh, we're first. I don't know anymore if we're first or whether China is finally ahead of us, militarily, economically, and every other way. China is suffering as a result of this tariff war, as we are also. Uh, but they're smart. They, they don't sit on their asses. We sell soybeans to them. So much in soybeans. Our soybean farmers in the Midwest are starving. They can't unload their wheat, their rice, and their soybeans to Japan anymore. What are they doing? They're storing it on their grounds. They can't sell. They can't make money. They can't make their mortgage payments. A lot of farmers are losing their homes, their farms. But Donald says we have to do this. It's the patriotic thing to do. You'll come out ahead in the end. They're already coming out at the bottom, those who are losing their properties. So, China isn't going to take this bullshit. I'm going to tell you, they haven't been taking it. We have these conferences, and every time we have a conference, things get worse. Nothing seems to get settled. Trump has this big valley, oh, well, we're going to do this at the next conference. And he gets there, and it doesn't happen. And the Chinese say, it's him. Uh, they had a deal the last time, a major deal. And the day before, Trump announces he's walking away from the deal. It's not fair. After his people agreed to it, and he had agreed to it. Uh, he can't be trusted. So let me tell you something. China isn't going to back off against us. Uh, there's something about Orientals, about Asians. They, face is important. You, you don't insult me. You don't spit in my face. You don't step on my head when it's in the mud. I will not forget you, okay? If it takes me forever, I will get even with you. So I don't see what we're going to make out with China at least not in the very near future, which means not during this year and probably not within Donald Trump's uh, presidency, unless Trump is willing to give China back just about everything that through these tariff wars he has taken away from them. Nicholas Kristof, 
I consider Nicholas Kristof one of the finest writers in the world. He is a columnist for the New York Times. The man is intuitive. He can see where others can't see. He understands. He, 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 he sympathizes. He has empathy. He's smart. All right. His lifetime has been done. Has been uh, discussing generally world events and national events. He said last week in a, a column, uh, he discussed, and I quote, how far the Republican Party has fallen. How far the Republican Party has fallen. He says now it's a personality cult. Personality cult. The GOP, they are into a personality cut. They're led by a hothead, a hothead who incites a crowd to repeat an ugly chant, racist, 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 racist in nature. The chant is racist in nature. Send them back, for example. Uh, Now, he said last week, too, he says, you know, I don't understand something. He says, these statements, send them back, et cetera, is racist. What he's doing is racist. On the other hand, some Republican leaders have come out and said, racist does not necessarily mean racism. He's not guilty of racism, the president, just because he says something racist. Now, this is a fine hair distinction <coughs> that I don't really comprehend. And Kristoff didn't either. It doesn't make sense, okay? But this is the way the Republicans are. Uh, he said in his closing, Kristoff, to this column, the GOP stands for nothing. The GOP stands for nothing. And how true it is. That's where they brought themselves. We've got one more election with them where they have a shot. Trump may win again. I'm not sure he's going to lose. Uh If he loses, the Republican Party needs to be reconfigured, reset. They may be dead after this election. If if Trump wins, well, it's still going to be a different party because if Trump wins, God help this country. Forget God help the world. God help us, the people in the United States. If any man is close to Adolf Hitler or is Adolf Hitler recreated, it's Donald Trump. I'm not ashamed to say it. I'm not afraid to say it. This man scares the hell out of me. The Democrats, very quickly, uh, my last point, if they want to win this election, they've got to stop talking about how bad Donald Trump is all the time. Say it a little bit, but not a lot, because every day he comes up with a new item, and that's in the news the next day, and the Democrats respond, and they never get to talk about what the people are really interested in, medical care, free college, forgive college loans, infrastructure, pharmaceutical, education. Don't talk about it. And that's what we have to talk about in order to win an election. Anyhow, that's the show for tonight. I hope you enjoyed. I thank you for joining me uh, for another week. And I close by saying once again, this is Louis Patron coming to you from Key West, Florida. Thank you again for joining me.